Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Well, that's a pretty awesome way to worship, isn't it? To see baptism. Let's do that every week. What do you think? Not the retreat thing. That's too much. But let's baptize that many every week. Of course, services are going to be a little longer, but, you know, I can handle that. It's easier for me than you. I lost my friend in 2012. He was 74. I was 52. Um, His name was Clarence. And Clarence uh, owned a pipeline construction company. His partner was Kix Brooks' daddy. He called him Mr. Brooks. One time Clarence called me. He said, you know where I am right now? I said, where are you, Clarence? He said, I'm in downtown Nashville riding in Kix Brooks' Ferrari. He said, I got to get me one of these. Before all of that, though, he kind of came up through construction, pipeline. He was an equipment operator. And one day he was on the job. He was running a crane, and he tells the story. Uh, I wish he was here to tell it. He's running a crane. It's 5 o'clock, quitting time. Starts to bring the ball down on the crane. When he does, it's one of these deals. They're, they're hanging red iron. One of the erectors steps off of the top of the red iron, grabs the cable on the, on the crane, and steps onto the ball and rides the ball down. Now, that violates all kinds of OSHA requirements, and Clarence is furious by the time this guy gets to the ground. And and when he comes over, Clarence looks down at him and says, you ever do that again, and I'm going to jump down out of this cab, and I'm going to beat the fool out of you. I'm going to whip your rear. Only I don't think he used the word rear. And the guy said, well, you think so? Well, why don't you just do it right now? Clarence said, I believe I will. And Clarence jumped down out of there. He said, that guy beat me up one side and down the other. He knocked me all around, whooped me bad. He said, I guess he'll ride that ball if he wants to. <laughs> we laughed so hard when he said that. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, there's a difference between thinking you can do something and doing it. Let's go back to John chapter 14. Let me remind you of the setting. Everything that occurs in this, in this chapter is happening between Jesus leaving the upper room where they had the Lord's Supper and getting to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the last night of His life on earth before the, before the cross. And He's pouring into the guys. First thing that He said to them is, every one of you is going to fail me. Judas betrayed me. Peter's like, I won't. He's like, yeah, you will tonight, three times. And everybody's going to fall away. And so they're just completely demoralized by that. In chapter 14, he turns around, begins to pour encouragement into them. He says, you know, live with perspective. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again, receive you myself. Where I am, there you are also. Don't live with an earthly perspective. You know, you've got eternity in front of you. Uh, And I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So depend on me, right? And then he says something that's so empowering. He said, and the works that I do, you'll do also, and greater works than these. And we talked about how empowering that must have felt after Jesus has just said, you're going to fail. And now he comes back around and he says, you're going to do incredible, amazing things. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's empowering, yes. And it's exciting and invigorating in all of those words. But it also had to be terrifying because on the one hand, he has just said to them, you're going to do things that that are beyond what I've done. And they have to know how incapable they are and how paralyzing that must have been. But then you look at the very next thing that he says. He says this in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. In other words, 
These things that God wants you to do, and I think God wants you to do great things with your life. I don't think this is the end. I think this is the beginning. And I think God wants His church, His people in this generation at this time to do greater things than even Jesus did in His lifetime in terms of scope of ministry and reaching. But you don't do it on your own. Because there's this last word that I wanted to talk about today, and I'm going to do it quickly. I know, I know it's late, but it's provision. Provision. You see, God doesn't call the equip. He equips the called. And so the first thing we've got to understand is that we have the supply that we need. Look, he says it again in verse 14. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I read that and I go, well, if that's true, then why don't I have everything I want? Like, you know, I mean, there are preachers who say that. There are preachers who preach prosperity. They'll point to this verse and say, ask anything in my name. And in other words, he's obligated to do it if I ask in his name. So what do we routinely do when we pray? What's the last thing we add to our prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. And you know what we're doing? We're binding the promise. Okay, God, give me a Ferrari in Jesus' name, amen. Where's my Ferrari? Could it be that... Asking in Jesus' name is not the same as adding a tagline to the end of our prayer. Now, if you want to do that, I'm going to still do that. That was how I was taught. I'm still doing it in Jesus' name. I want to know that everything I do, and I'm kind of using that to say, I'm, I'm asking under the authority of Jesus' name. But you need to understand, a tagline is not going to bind God to your whim or whatever you want. Because to ask in Jesus' name doesn't mean that at all. It means to ask in the spirit, purpose, and nature of Christ. And so that's why he added verse 15. He said, if you love me, and again, this is concurrent with what he's just said. It's just a continuing thought. If you love me, what will you do? What's it say? Keep my what? My commandments. What are his commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when I keep his commandments as proof of my love for him, my heart becomes aligned to his heart, right? And I'm walking in Jesus' name. I'm not just saying it at the end of a prayer, but that becomes the essence of who I am. And I'm seeking to pursue Jesus' agenda. And let me tell you something. When you pursue Jesus' agenda, He will supply whatever you need to get it done. And I've seen this too many times in my life, and I want to see it in your life too, because we don't have to do this on our own, with our own capability, our own resources. We go to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're asking uh, in, in accordance with the purpose and will of God for our life. It's back to Psalm 37, 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. When I'm delighted in God, and that's, it's a masculine word in the Hebrew, but it's a feminine tense. It means to be delighted in such a way that I become pliable. I become moldable as a, as a, a, a girl in love with her, with her, uh, her man becomes conditioned to the, the desires of him and his desires become her desires, his, her desires become his desires. And when we want what God wants, he what? He gives us all we want, right? That's what he's talking about here. And so he says, you're going to do incredible things, but ask and I'll give it to you. And then he says, we have the support we need. Look at verse 16. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. I really... Okay, they didn't ask me when they translated the Bible, okay? <laughs> and really brilliant men did this, but I've never liked that word helper. That, that's the word for Holy Spirit. It's paraclete. It's a version of the, of the word 
parakaleo, which is the word for encourage. It means to call alongside. And that's so much, for me, a helper is somebody who holds the other end of the board while I do all the work, you know. That's a helper. And, 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 and you got a carpenter's helper or a plumber's helper or electrician's helper, somebody like that. But it's not that, that he's just holding the board while we do all the work. He's the one that, that calls us alongside. He does the work with us and he puts his arm around us when we can't go on and he whispers that word of encouragement, hope and courage into our lives and he empowers us to do what we're incapable of doing on our own. So much more than helper. But he says he's going to give us a helper. He may be with you and look at this, forever. And this is the difference in New Testament and Old. When the, when the Holy Spirit would come upon someone in the Old Testament, he would come upon them and he would fulfill God's purpose, and then the Spirit would leave them. But in the New Testament, the new part of the new, of the, of the new kingdom is, the New Testament is that he's going to fill us. And, and by filling us, he's with us forever. It says, so that the Spirit of truth, this is verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, look at this, abides in you and will be in you, not on you, in you. Now, for us to understand this, we got to do a little bit of Trinity stuff, okay? You know, Trinity is the concept of God that He's three in one, right? And He's already been kind of introducing this, and the whole John 14 is tangled up with it. He says, if you had known me, this is 7 through 11 uh, verses. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. All of that is, is in, in, involved in who we understand God to be. And now he adds a third person of the Trinity, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to be in us. And so to understand this, we kind of got to talk about it because God is three and yet He's one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And truthfully, there's no way for us to ever understand this. Um, it just it, it makes no sense to our human minds. We can't, we can't wrap our heads around it. God won't fit between my ears. And I've had people say, well, why would you serve a God that you can't understand? And I would reply, why would you serve a God that you can't understand? There's so much in life I don't understand. I don't understand nuclear fission. I don't understand quantum mechanics or string theory. I don't even understand how a cell phone works. Do you? I don't, but I use it every day. And that's stuff that's knowable. So why would I think that I have to understand who God is who is unknowable? And so the Trinity is never going to fit in our head. But here's what helps me, okay? I think part of our problem is we think of the Trinity and, and we create Him in our image. And I'm a bipedal human with a body and a soul. And so I think of God that way. And so if you were to take part of me, cut off an arm and put it in a jar, you wouldn't have any of me. You would just have an old dead arm in a jar. So the only way to get me in a jar is to get a bigger jar and stick me in it. But the problem is when I'm in the jar, I'm nowhere else. I'm only in the jar. But God didn't like us. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he, he said, God is spirit and those who worship him have to worship him in spirit and truth. So there's something ethereal about his nature, his essence. In fact, I think maybe God is like a cloud. Now don't, he's not a cloud. But that image was used of God to help us understand Him. In Exodus 40, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it says that repeatedly, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. And here's the thing that kind of got me thinking about that. If God's essence was more cloud-like than me, 
then you take part of that cloud, you put it in a jar, and you have the exact same thing in the jar that's outside of the jar. It's the exact same thing. What's in the jar is exactly the same as what's out of the jar. And then you unscrew the lid, and you dump it out, and it joins back together, and there's no way to tell what happened or what it was because it's all the same thing. You could take other illustrations that are used. Uh, light is another way of understanding it. Uh, Psalm 80, verse 1, he says, display your radiant glory. And John uses light all the time. He says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Same thing. You put light in a jar, you've got the exact same thing in the jar that's outside of the jar. Are you following me on this? And you dump it out, it comes back together, it's all light. You can't tell the difference. The same is true with fire, for example. And it's interesting that when, uh, when in Acts 2, the Bible describes the filling of the Holy Spirit, it describes Him coming with fire, right? Isn't that what it says in Acts 2? Um, it says that flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And so it could be the same. What's in the jar, same as what's outside the jar. You're like, well, why are we talking about jars? Okay. Let's say Jesus' body was a jar, right? And the essence that was in the jar was exactly the same as the essence that was outside of the jar. Are you tracking? God was both inside and outside. All of God wasn't in that jar. It wasn't as if God handed the keys to some angel and said, run the universe, I'll be back in 33 and a half years. You got it? And Jesus prayed to the Father, because he was both outside, but he was the same. Are, are you with me? It's All of God wasn't in the jar, but all that was in the jar was God. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Now go back to 14, verse 18, because this is what, I, I had to tell you that, so we'll try to somehow wrap our heads around this. Uh, 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is talking to them. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now look, verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. Wait a second. Didn't he say the Spirit was going to be in us? So what's in us? Is it the Father, Jesus, the Spirit? It doesn't matter what word you use. He's all the same thing. That light that was in the jar labeled Jesus was the same light that was outside of the jar named Father. And, and here's the powerful truth. That light named Holy Spirit is now in your jar. So here's what I want you to understand. When you receive Christ by faith, you are filled with the same Spirit that was in Jesus, the same God that is in heaven. Let that sink in. If you have Jesus as your Savior, then you have God in you. I say that because there's something in me that wants to feel as if the Spirit in me is something a little less than God. He's not a little less than God. It's the same person, the same personality, the same essence in you now. Now, the difference between you and Jesus is you have the spirit of the old man and you have the new spirit within you and those two spirits are going to be at battle. Paul calls it the old nature, the flesh, whatever. He said the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And, and now you go to war. And the, and the process of discipleship is the process by which the spirit of God takes control of the spirit of man that's within you. 
and you become more and more like Jesus. So the first thing he's going to do is change you. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to 16, but look at 16 verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. I say that because I talk to a lot of people who say they know Jesus, but who live like the devil. And I'm like, if you know Jesus, then God himself is inside of you. How can the same God that's in you accommodate the sin that you're doing? Because it says you're going to look at what he says in 1421. He who has commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. The evidence of the spirit is a changed life. You want to know how you know that the spirit's in you? It's a changed life. It changes your relationship to sin. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. What a bummer of a name. Said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone, and look at this part, underline this part. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's the evidence. And my father will love him. And we will, look at this plural pronoun. We will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with him. So he's going to convict the world and he's going to guide you. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look at this, underline this part. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. We call that illumination. And then the third thing, and the one I want you to hear, is he will calm you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Man, peace sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Some of you guys found peace. Been battling your whole life. You say, where will it come from? Well, he will supply and he will support. Do you really know what it means to be filled with the Spirit? It means two things to me, and I'm done, okay? The first is you're never alone. One of the things that I heard coming from retreat guys as y'all were talking was there's a lot of loneliness. And I hear that a lot in our world. I hear it from our senior adults who've lost their mates. I hear it from people who are just getting started in life and they're out of college. There's so much loneliness and isolation and longing. You need to understand when you're in Christ, Christ is in you and you're never alone. And you've got to lean into that and you've got to remember that I never walk alone anymore. But secondly, concurrent with that is you're not on your own. You're not on your own. You're never alone and you're not on your own. Look around this room. Here's what happens. When you're filled with the Spirit and I'm filled with the Spirit, we have a kindred spirit. And when we have a kindred spirit, we lift each other up. We combine with each other. And no matter where I go in this world, I find people whose hearts are bonded to mine, not because of our common background or experience, but because of the common spirit. I was in Kenya last February. And we were by the Mara River at this resort where you lived in tents. And we went into the gift shop and the guy running the gift shop, I had one of uh, Fitzgerald, I had your FCA 
Columbia shirt on. Guy looked at me and said, are you a follower of Jesus? And I said, yeah. He said, I am too. And immediately we had a kindred spirit. We had nothing in common but Jesus. And that was so much that we began a relationship. Joe and them started to work with this guy. You remember those uh, crash sets, those nativity sets we sold last year to support missions? They came from him. He was running the gift shop, gathered up hundreds of, of Masai Mara uh, of Maasai tribesmen, nativity, sent them to us, we sold them. And you know where Joey is right now? Our missions, international missions pastor, he's in Kenya. Guess what church he's at? He's at that guy's church. And they're training pastors this week because of a common spirit. Look, what happened at retreat and what ought to happen in every life group and what ought to happen in church is that the Spirit of God dwelling in you combines with the Spirit of God dwelling in me and we become one in a bond that is so much more powerful than any other bond. Notice he said, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. What's wrong with the world's peace? <laughs> Where is it? You know any peaceful people in the world? If they do get it, it's... Come and go. But we can walk in peace because He supports us. Greater things than me you're going to do. God's got great things for you to do. I think He's got great things for every one of us to do. But you don't have to let your heart be troubled or let it be afraid because He's going to supply what He calls us to do. He's going to supply what He's called you to do. Ask, and He'll supply it. And He will support you no matter where you are. And I just want to say that because some of you are going through some really isolating things right now. You may be going through a divorce. You may be going through loss. You know, the biggest loss that I ever experienced was right after I graduated from high school and right after I graduated from college. Talk about isolating. God is with you. You're never alone and you're never on your own. And I wanted to speak that word of encouragement to you because if you have Jesus, then Jesus has you. Got it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that you've put in our hearts. Thank you that you support and supply us. And I pray for those that, God, are feeling very isolated and cut off, that they would realize who you are that the Holy Spirit in us is the very Spirit of Jesus. It's the very Spirit of the Father. And that we have the power to overcome and we don't have to let our hearts be troubled and let it be afraid. And so I pray that you would encourage with that word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.